to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levane, and until I started this podcast, I had never seen a single episode of Doctor Who, and boy, am I kicking myself for having missed this amazing thing that I could have been a part of for all these years, but I'm making up for it by sitting down and every week having somebody that knows so much about Doctor Who that they can sort of fill me in and make every episode this amazing experience. So this week, I have John Sobel coming back because, man, we left on a cliffhanger and I hate those cliffhangers. So, John Sobel, well, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Welcome to CBS Alpha. No, wait. Um, uh, different, different, different one. It's a a similar, sequence, yeah, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Yes. Uh, but okay. Before we go any further, we did leave the podcast in a bit of a cliffhanger last week because yes, there I was a find my notes. bit of tri- trivia that you were going to share, and you couldn't find the notes. So let's right. finish that bit of business first. Yes, I, I, I purposely wrote it at the top of the notes for this week, so I would have it. And the voice of the beast was actually provided by Gabriel Wolf, who played Sutka, I guess that's how it's pronounced, S-U-T-E-K-H, the Destroyer, in a fourth Doctor serial called Pyramids of Mars, which is a very well-known uh, series, uh, a serial that uh, happened. And uh, even in this episode, the new, the, the the who would possess uh, names. Um, you know, they said the beast is Satan, and um, in the fourth Doctor episode, this fourth Doctor episode, uh, the Doctor says that this creature has been known as many aliases, including the Typhonian beast and Satan. So there's definitely um, definitely a deep connection, uh, a deep deep connection to the fourth Doctor episode, Pyramids of Mars, which. Again, uh, that is an episode. That is a, a serial uh, that is well known in the Whovian uh, world. Interesting. Well, that was a good bit of trivia. I'm glad we, we got it uh, into this episode. And uh, before we jump in, we're talking about the conclusion to The Impossible Planet. The title of the TV episode is Satan's Pit. So if you have not seen Satan's Pit, please make sure you pause the podcast because we are going to ruin the experience for you. And I don't want to deny you that ability. And uh, as we mentioned last week, if you haven't seen it in a while, refresh your memory Watch the episode first, and then come back and join the podcast. So be now, careful, otherwise the beast may get you. Be very careful. That's a crafty little thing there. Uh, but here we go, jumping in. So there's a moment where Rose is clearly frightened by what is happening and the doctor is still unable to give her answers uh you know last week he was very quizzical uh because he just didn't know what was happening and rose uh, is starting to be afraid that what they're heading into is quite literally an encounter against the devil and she says tell me there is no such thing because she trusts the doctor and the doctor has seen and traveled so much that she knows he can answer that for her and he can't. And there's a very good reason why he can't because he knows 
As much as he has traveled, there's places he's never been, and there's things he's never seen. And as weird as the whole idea of the devil is, it came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they they touch that on this episode. Uh, they keep going back to the idea that uh, I, I think at one point even the doctor says, uh, you know, in all these different planets, there's uh, some sort of horn being that uh, is the the root of evil. So there's got to be something to that. The doctor even postulates that. Yes, it's, it's, um, I like that because as much time as when you find the doctor, you know, truly in the know and, and with the glint in his eye, when you, when you see him in the, when he truly doesn't know, and it's something that is scary after all, that is, that's when, you know, you all get that, again, that little pit in your stomach going, wow, something really can happen here. Right. And when the doctor doesn't know, things can go awry really quickly. Um, you know, the, there was a little bit of that uh, not knowing in the dimension where they come across the Cybermen, this this different version of what he has known as the Cybermen. And here there's definitely that feeling throughout the last episode and through most of this episode that he just doesn't know what he's going to come across. And there you can see the, that sense of um, discovery and that, that curiousness that he so much uh, loves in humans start to really spark up in him very brightly Um to the extent that he even has that moment where he's talking about that impulse of sort of jumping into the unknown, uh, when he's talking to, uh, that, that crew member that comes down with him. Yes. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, at one moment, uh, in this episode, I gasped because all of a sudden there's that word again. Uh, it's not bad wolf this time. It's torchwood. The captain shouts into his device. Uh, the the Sentry Base Six. There's another, you know, six right. in the in the episode. Uh, but the Sentry Base Six, researching, or I'm sorry, uh, representing the Torchwood Archive. Mm-hmm. So we haven't established this in a timeline. So we, I'm not sure, is this the future? Is this the past? We didn't really talk about that last week. I don't, I don't think they actually establish it, but as basically if it's humans who have done this uh, and they've gone to, to another planet, that they have ways to uh, do interstellar travel, and that's what must be the future. It's got, yeah, it's got to be uh, the, the future. Uh, but here it is, the Torchwood Institute. Yes, it is. Uh, and the Torchwood Archives. Yes, it is. And there it is. That's it. There, there's nothing the more we can talk about. All right. All right. We can't talk about You're just not going to get it from me. Moving on <laughs> until a later date. We'll put a pin on that. Yeah, um, 
we'll pick a pit on that, you know, cycle back to that at another time. Right. So the, there's a moment where, uh, we, we are to believe that, uh, the doctor is being given some information as to what is happening uh, and basically being told that this this thing, these, this writing, it all happened before time. And the doctor seems to have a real hard time comprehending that notion. Yes. Um, you know, the, the beast actually says that, that he is... Uh, before you know before time and it's you know that's impossible you know being a time lord how can anything be before what we know since we know we can go anywhere in space and time how can something be before what we know and it's just it, it's his beliefs are just being completely you know tramps you know trampled here uh and he just there's things that you just can't believe that are true and you know, again, working yeah, people's it, beliefs, it's a, you know, you always get those, uh, those problems, you know. And it's, it's fascinating because uh, later in the episode, uh, the doctor finds that room where there's kind of what I guess we, we would think of as hieroglyphics uh, that kind of depict what transpired in this place. Uh, and he alludes to the idea that there was some sort of conflict and some entity or beings were able to trap this thing in this planet uh, and sort of hold it uh, so that if he were to escape the planet, he would be sucked into the black hole. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, there was... Uh um, found that, that it's, you know, then much later in the episode. That right. Right. Almost towards the end. There's yeah, that moment where it's realized now, that this is where we're, we're holding, we're this play, this is being held there knowing that if anything happens that it just, you know, if, if somebody tries to make the next step that it's, you know, it's a death sentence. And so, the and here's the 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 incredibly deeply nerdy question uh, that I'm drawn to. Uh, he he finds this out. He sees these drawings. He comes to that conclusion, and then at the end of the episode, he insinuates that uh, the time lords created black holes. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know so, if it's true or not. That could be a line. It's just that, time time you know, to postulate. Yes. If, if the Time Lords created a black hole, was that his predecessors, his uh, you know ancestors, if you will, that trapped this entity in this planet directly under a black hole? Yes. No, it's... it's um, I, I think it was more of the, you know, that... Uh, it was other creatures. I, you know, the idea of my people created black holes is, I don't know if it was specifically true, more of we know more about them than everyone else because we, we've studied them more than anyone else, more than we've created them. It's, uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, saying I've created so the, This is a time where we can't take the doctor at face value. Not a true face value, though. No. I think it's more of the, um, uh, 
the way that you did, you know, I've, you know, I've created the greatest, you know, thing of all time. It's, you know, it's probable, but not, you know, but I don't think it's exact. So it was not a, a proto race of time Lords or, you know, a, uh, the beginning race of time Lords that it's, did this. Is it possible? It Absolutely. Is it probable? Uh, to, they've never, they've never gone back to this portion to be able to say one way or another. Uh, this would be a let's let's call Russell T Davies and, and ask him. <laughs> well, because then the other question is, if it had been Time Lords that trapped the entity and left it in the planet and created the black hole to protect it as a double fail system, double fail safe system, why would the Doctor and thus the TARDIS not be able to translate the uh, exactly, exactly. The symbols? It's. it's uh... Uh, something that we, yeah, I don't think about the, uh, I don't think it was, uh, purposefully, uh, a lie, more of a, you know, just, we know he's trying to brag. Yeah, we know more about this, so I know how to, I know how to work my way around them because. We, we know so much, we practically invented it. Yes. That, that, okay, so that. Uh, that makes sense. Moving on, though, uh, we do get um, a moment uh, where the the devil, the beast, whatever we want to call this entity, uh, is talking to the doctor, uh, and he addresses him as the killer of his own kind. Yes, but well, he, he says um, a lot to a lot of people at that at that moment. Right, right. He 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 calls everybody out by these weird sort of uh, identifiers. You know, the lost girl, lost. Re- referring to Rose, uh, and you know, calls out all the other crew members with their flaws. You know, something about the 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 man, the the security guy's wife, uh, and but he calls the doctor the killer of his own kind. Now. I'm assuming that's an insinuation uh, at what we've kind of heard in the past that during the time war, um, in order to completely defeat the Daleks, he, meaning this doctor, uh, triggered a, a series of events that also caused the demise of the Time Lords. That's at least what we've heard thus far. Is that what he's referencing, or is? Uh, yeah, it's from what we've known at this moment. From what we know, okay. You know, and again, the the fighting of what we know at this moment versus what we know after this moment that you've not seen yet. Sure. So, you know, trying to try and hold it in, I can't, I just can't wait. The the more to come, more to come. More to come, yes. I, you know, it, as it's. More more information comes out about the time war uh, until there will be a there will be a conclusion. Talking about the time war, where we learn, oh. where we do learn. 
I, I can I, tell you that. I, I just can't tell you anything beyond that. <laughs> no worries. We'll we'll move on then. Um, um, something that I found really awesome, uh, which you know it, it's right in line. Last week we talked about mm-hmm. it in depth. The, the the doctor finds the human race uh, this very uh, capable race because of their ingenuity and because they're sort of strive uh, both to stay alive, but also to find out and to gain knowledge. Um, and in, in a moment in which it seems like uh, things are very much uh, dire, uh, they said, think your way out. And all of them yes. start to sort of have that Star Trek moment. You know, where they're like, well, if we divert the power from the coupler converters to the iolitic converters and switch yes. the dilithium crystals, you know, <laughs> they start doing all the science sci-fi gobbledygook that ultimately means they can sort of save themselves. Uh, and I, I love the idea that it's not just the doctor physically coming in and doing all the work for them. It's sort of the doctor inspiring people to help themselves and not just the doctor but rose actually talking you know doing that whole bed is uh where you know everything seems seems lost and we have this problem but we have time and as long as we have time when we have our brains we can come up with this you know you're the scientist you think about this you're this you think about that you know and you know just forcing them to come up with their uh to be to do what they are good at mm-hmm well, in, in in sort of covering uh, what the doctor really feels about the human race, we we really seem to get a lot from the doctor uh, and his general uh, sort of belief system as it pertains to humans in this uh, two episodes. Because the, the, in the conversation, as he gets to the 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 bottom of the the. 10 miles of wire uh, and still not finding the bottom of the pit. Right. Um, he is talking to the, the, the human that's helping him. I forget her name. And Ada. Ida. He's, Ida. Uh, and he talks about all the things that make humans so incredibly human. Uh, and he, you know, he says one of the things is that urge to fall. Uh, and of course he says that right before he, unleashes himself from from the harness and allows himself to to go into the pit uh but that's a very poignant statement you know it's not just uh the like like we talked about last week uh you know that that spark of ingenuity and that spark that drives human beings um you know the the idea of that the urge to fall sort of signifying kind of that darker side of humans uh, and the willingness to let themselves fall, uh, almost driven to the edge of things and driven to that moment of, I just got to jump in kind of thing. Right. But, it, but even way before that, when they first were talking about, you know, going into the pit and the doctor is saying all this stuff about how humans have that in the back of their neck, you know, you know, go in, go in, go in, go in. And, or whatever he said, I wasn't going, but, and. This is for the first time in my life, I'm going to say retreat. And then they yeah. try to retreat and then the cable breaks in the, on the pod. So they're stuck, you know, away from everyone else 
10 miles down with another who knows how far down in the pit to go. And that's when they say, you know, okay, we have to do this. But Ida, you can't do it. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And it makes it, makes yeah. it, you know, that he's he switches around all from the first of, I don't want to do this. I find this, you know, that the doctor was actually scared enough to say, for the first time in my life, I'm not saying go forward and go backward. Uh, it definitely shows what the possibility or what he thought the possibility of what was inside that pit, which turned out to be most likely the truth of what he, (laughs) what he, uh, quite, quite a frightening proposition, uh, when the doctor doesn't jump head, you know, head first. Right. Which leads us to when, when ultimately, well, when he does, uh, and he has that moment where he falls, uh, and he comes to, and there's oxygen. He can breathe, and right. there's all this realization. Um, but you know, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. There's that moment where he is talking to Ida, uh, and he's trying to postulate what could be down there with them, uh, and he says. It just doesn't fit my rules, right? Um, and that's, which, but that's you know the, the you know all all of us have that you know if if it doesn't fit your rules then is it wrong? We've we've right. Well, it, it, it goes that. back to that question that I asked. You know, were these time lords that captured him? You know, it, to me, I read that line as I don't understand it. Right. Nothing. Nothing that I know explains what is happening down here so it does you know it it doesn't fit my rules is a different way of saying i don't know what's happening down here right and everything that i think of is the opposite of what i know to be true right and then it's you know it's always that's part of where he was he's you know when he was going toe-to-toe verbally with the beast uh, about, you know, and the beast, you know, it says, this is not, I don't believe this. And says that your faith, that's, that's such a big story. You know, a big part of all of this is who we are as a, as a race, uh, is brought on by our faith and who we are as, as, as people and who we believe a lot of that is based on what they tell us and based on our faith and whether we believe it which God we believe in and which, uh, or we believe in God at all or, or any of that. Which is the, an interesting question. Cause he does uh, at one point po- pose that to, uh, to the, to, uh, I'm sorry. I, I keep forgetting her name. Um, Ida. Uh, to Ida, he asks her, you know, what did you grow up in a faith or, you know, uh, and she, you know, goes on this explanation about how, well, I guess I would, you know, believe in this. And uh, the, but there, there is that sort of, it, I, I don't want to say that it, it's a, an inherent human question, uh, but it is. It, it is, you know, something that has driven uh, the human race um, to where we are today uh, in a lot of, you know, moments have sort of you have to be taken uh, with that sort of faith in mind uh, that there's a lot of things that happen that are inexplainable 
Uh, and, you know, in, in, a, in a show, in a science fiction show, you have the doctor and he can do all these amazing things. And they're all explained away by, you know, these supernatural ideas. Well, he's, a, you know, he's from a different planet and he's got these different powers and blah, blah, blah. But we as humans don't in, in, in the real world, we don't have access to that. So we often uh, try to explain the unexplainable. And eventually some things defy explanation and thus we, uh, we, we pin them to the idea of, well, there's got to be something greater out there. And that's where faith comes in because exactly. faith will describe, you know, uh, ultimately it's faith that attributes uh, the powers to all of these deities that we have, you know, it being uh, somebody uh, like, you know, going back to the, our, our existence, you know, uh, just like Buddha and uh, all of these different deities are just ways that humans have adopted to explain away the things that we either as a race at that particular moment or as a human race today just can't explain the things that yeah. fail to be defined by science. I can fully agree with all of that. It's, it's exactly where, you know, that's, you know, how a lot of this works is, you know, if you can't figure it out by, by your faith, uh, then do you, do you, you just got to trust your, your eyes and ears. You got to use your, your senses instead of your heart. Right. And, and, one one of the things that I love about sci-fi, uh, and I've said this many times in the podcast at this point, but it, it's the idea that through sci-fi we can explore real things, uh, very tangible ideas uh, or concepts or uh, problems and reflect them in a way that is entertaining, uh, but that it can mean something to the people that want to find that meaning and want to delve a little deeper than just, oh, here's a story about this crazy guy that travels the universe in a blue box. Uh, and, you know, when a show tackles something as profound as the idea or the, the literal personification of evil... I love the idea that, you know, in the very show, you get the doctor saying the devil is an idea. Right. And so, you know, the, the idea being that he can be trapped with the devil facing this incredibly menacing looking uh, giant corporeal, you know, manifestation of the, the quintessential devil and yet the devil is getting away because the idea of the devil is traveling in, uh, what was it, Toby? Yes. Uh, you know, traveling inside of Toby. Uh, and that's a magnificent science fiction-y way of sort of explaining that it's not just about the physical and the, the thing that you can see, but it's also about the concept and how a concept can be just as diabolic as the thing itself, if not more. Wow. Right. I like that. Yes. 
you know, it, it, it is, it is not just, uh, which is, I, I think a lot of times, uh, people that want to attack, uh, people of faith will say, well, you can't prove it. You can't prove it. Uh, and just cause something can't be proven doesn't mean that it's not real or it's happening. It just means that we lack the scientific way of being able to prove something. And every year we get smarter and we develop better tools and we learn more and more about what we don't know. And so to me, it's a very narrow-minded approach to say, if you can't see it, it's not real. At some point, you've got, you've got to attest to what the doctor does in this very episode, which is he doesn't, he didn't know. He didn't know who this creature was and he only sort of, because of his immense amount of knowledge and the, the clearly a superior intellect. Uh, and again, you know, that's the science, science fiction way of solving this problem. You know, the doctor is able to using that immense knowledge and that immense brain power of his to be able to sit there and be faced with the devil and be able to solve the problem of how to at least contain it, how to at least do what he can do. Um, and, and he ultimately, he comes up to that, you know, that line of, I can destroy you, but I would be dooming Rose. Right. I can end this, but I'm not willing to because of what the cost would be. And, insinuating that he does not care if he himself has to sacrifice his own life in order to spare the universe from this entity, but he's not willing to do it because of Rose. And then being juxtaposed with what's happening in the ship as they're escaping Rose, not being, not being, just willing to just be the victim or willing to just be uh, a passive standard, you know, a passerby, a passive observer of what's happening when she's faced with the idea of, oh, wait, this is happening. I've got to do this. And when they ask her, why did you do that? She goes, that's what the doctor would do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know. uh, Rose really comes to her own in this episode. Uh, like I was saying before, when they were, um, after the initial uh, uh, attack, uh, of, you know, from the be- right at the beginning of the episode, uh, from during the cliffhanger where Rose is with uh, uh, Danny and the and the, the chief uh, and Toby, I can't think of the chief's name all of a sudden, uh, and mm-hmm. with the and they're attacking him, and they and they once they're done with that, and they're trying to come up with the ideas. Uh, you know, it's it's again I mentioned it before. It's Rose who says. Yeah. You, you're the, you're the security. You, you protect us. You, you're the archaeologist. Work out those letters. Uh, you're, you're the scientist. Figure out a way. You, you know more about the mood. Figure out a way to, to do it. And then when he comes up with a, you know, he's like, oh, there's a virus that, uh, that could stop you, but we don't have it on board. You know, it's then pure sarcasm that she's, well, we, you know, that's handy. Let's see all the things we've got, we haven't got. We don't have a swimming pool either, nor a Tesco's. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just like it's it's almost like she's channeling the doctor there. You know, yeah, she definitely be able to work this out, not not be stupid about it. Yeah, she she definitely has a lo- a lot more confidence and a lot more sort of 
gusto in how she takes control of a situation now. You know, when we first met her, she was very demure and she was very, um, not delicate, but very hesitant. Uh, and, you know, through these adventures, she has found uh, a, a, an immense wealth of courage and an immense wealth of just being comfortable with not knowing, which is something that, you know, the, the doctor seems to have in, in this episode particularly seems to have faced in spades, you know, the idea that he doesn't know and yet he still takes action. Exactly. You know, because doing something is more important than not, you know, than, than just passively sort of standing by and waiting for the end of the world or waiting for the end of this planet or waiting for, you know, the oxygen to run out. Uh, you know, the, the idea that you can't just passively sit there and go into the night, um, you know, it, I, I really appreciated that in this episode uh, as much as I appreciated the, the constant reminder that the doctor as all knowing as he is, is stumped by this present, but is not intimidated by him. Yes. He comes face to face with the devil and what he sees is a problem to be solved and a, a moment of, and even when you see that very devilish moment where the, the, the physical manifestation of the devil uh, is still responding to the doctor's sort of anguish of, oh, crap. If I destroy you, I destroy Rose uh, and watching the devil laugh at him. Yes. And the doctor still doesn't blink. The doctor is just, you know, he's angered by it. He's not afraid of it, which right. is, you know, a wonderful message is don't be afraid. Even in the face of the devil, don't be afraid of it. There is a solution. You just you just have to come through with it. Right. And it's so weird because we know, uh, the viewer knows at that moment that the intelligence portion of this creature is inside Toby, but it still had enough of it to be able to laugh uh, at the doctor's dilemma uh, as, he's, as he's trying to determine what to do. Um, so there's definite, there was, you know, it's a definite, you know, juxtaposition when you're thinking, you know, because he's all he's doing is just roaring and roaring and going, well, and we're watching it as, well, clearly he has no brain because the brain was transferred into uh, the other person. Right. The, the eloquence part, because the doctor even says, you know, you spoke and you were very, you were brilliant and now you can't. Uh, and I, I love the idea that, even though the intelligence, the the root, the idea of evil, as the doctor puts it, had left, that the, there was still menace in that body. There was still the other things that can be attributed to the devil: the the hatred, the rage, uh, you know, the the ability to laugh at somebody's anguish when they realize, you know, I, I would have to sacrifice the person that clearly he cares so deeply about um you know it, that's a, a very 
it's 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 a it's a wonderful dilemma to put the doctor in front of and to show the doctor's reaction to it because uh, again we we've mentioned this in the podcast many of my guests have mentioned it to me that you know the show is meant to be a family show and what a great message to show children to show kids to show teenagers to show adults for that matter that even in the face of evil, you can use your intellect, you can use your smarts, and you can figure it out. You can figure your way out. And that even as powerful and as smart as the doctor is, it takes the two of them, it takes the doctor and Rose to get them out of the situation. Oh, yes. And I love Rose's... uh, thought process in it because she had grabbed the bolt gun to, you know, because they've taken off on the rocket and they've left the doctor behind and she's, you know, she's taking the bolt gun to try to threaten Zach to turn it around. And, and, and he, Zach just looks at him going, really? You're going to do this? You're, you're dooming us all. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's not what you want, but I'm not turning it around. So you can either put the gun down or whatever and then um, as the doctor solves his crisis uh, with figuring out how to solve the crisis of this big uh, horned creature uh, and then starts the planet towards the, uh, you know, off its, off its uh, orbit and into the black hole, therefore des- destroying the creature but not destroying the brain. And Rose realizing it, and she takes the bolt gun and shoots a hole into the window, and and then reaches over and unseatbelts him, so he gets blown out of the of out of the hole, right, and into space and into the and into the black hole. So that it's a it's a double save, virtually you know it, you know practically at the same time. Well, it's it's the save by sacrifice, right? Right. Because the doctor makes the sacrifice, even though he hates it, and Rose makes a sacrifice, even though it's very much not the type of person that she is, and that it's that double sacrifice by both of them that ends up saving them uh, in, in the end. Right. Not to mention the moment in this episode that oh my gosh it felt so wonderful uh and and it was almost like a superman moment i felt when the doctor is there in the cave and he kind of falls back and he looks up and it's there and it's dimly lit except for that sign that says police box right and this is really like the first time that you see here's the TARDIS sort of being the hero. Oh, yeah. You know, like just when you're like, okay, well, at least they did the right thing. Here's the TARDIS sort of coming out to save everybody. It'd be like, hello, doctor. Were you looking for me? Yes. You know, uh, gosh, that like that moment, I, I wanted there to be like more serious music because it just felt so heroic. Yeah, you get that, that very... Is this is the TARDIS sentient question again? Right. <laughs> but it, it was awesome because you see that moment and then you see the explosion and you're like, 
everything is fine. The doctor's in the TARDIS. And then two seconds later, there he is pulling them out. You know, he's like, gravity, whatever. I, the TARDIS can beat all of this. Uh, yes, exactly. You know, just such an amazing sort of moment. Uh, but, you know, once again, that that very uh, heroic moment sort of evoked that feeling in me of, you know, here's the Superman moment. Here's Superman, you know, flying around the planet a thousand times to spin it backwards to revert time. The doctor doesn't have to do it. The doctor has the TARDIS and he's able to, you know, get his ship to save everybody. And it, it felt like, as you saw, like we, we don't see the TARDIS that frequently flying through space. No. So when, you know, I think this is the only, like, the second time. I mean, you see it in the titles, right? Like, falling from one vortex into another kind of thing. Right. But in the show itself, I think this is the only, the the second time that we've ever actually seen the TARDIS heading towards something, heading in a specific direction. Yeah, you saw that when they were chasing down the uh, Unearthly Child, when they were chasing down the rocket, because you saw they were, uh, they were following, they were following the Mauve. Uh, uh, right, right. Uh, missile. The, you know, so it, it, it was hugely impactful and such a, you know, for all the anxiety that watching these two episodes evoked in me, it was such a cathartic release to finally have that, again, very sci-fi trope, but very satisfying, like everything is okay you're in good hands. The doctor is going to see you through. Yes. And Rose is there to help him. You know, it, right. it very, you know, very necessary. Um, at least for me, because like I said, the, these two episodes really physically put me through the ringer. I mean, I, I, I'd love to look at my cardiac uh, response to these episodes. Cause I'm sure my pulse was racing. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, it, I remember watching these the first time. It's you know, definitely um, something that, you know, if you, you know, if you can, it's, I know it's harder to do it on TV shows versus movies, but if you can, you know, release yourself from everything around you and just get involved in the TV show, these things will grace your heart for sure. Uh, yeah. And this, this episode definitely did that. And uh, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but the the gall, the uh, uh, you know, some people would say the balls to take on a concept like the devil in a sci-fi show and not presented as just a confrontation between good and evil, but presented as a battle of wits is uh, that's that's great. And I know we've seen that representation before, uh, you know. Well, most in, in, Doctor Who is good, good versus evil. So to actually take right, right, but to, to take it to the, the the battle of wits, to take it to a battle of basically coming face to face with the unknown and solving the problem without brute strength is uh, you know it. Just a great idea, and I know I, I'm sure uh, as a listener, you're you're listening to this episode, and you're coming up with a hundred different examples where that's happened in science fiction. Uh, so 
I encourage you, please write that back in the comments of this podcast, uh, because right now I'm, I'm hard pressed to come up with one that does as good a job as this does in sort of presenting the idea that, uh, you know, knowledge and the willingness uh, and the inventiveness uh, can out something as evil as the devil itself and can thwart the, the devil's own plans. Yes. So great episode. Really, really, really two great episodes. Uh, and, you know, generating a lot of uh, other questions about Torchwood uh, and what yes, else is, is to come with the, with the time wars. But uh, wonderful stuff. Um, did I miss anything? Was there anything that I, I didn't pick up on that I should one, have? One thing, because it's it's we talked about it, but it, just to reiterate it, the beast in talking to uh, about Rose is the valiant child who will die in battle so very soon. Uh, and he talked about that before everything started happening. And when the doctor then says, she mentions it at the end and she says, uh, he said I was going to die and said, obviously he was wrong. Uh, but is it foreshadowing for later on in, this, in the series or was that straight on? Um, mm. You just don't know. It was just, and that was one of those things that always stuck out to me when watching this, ep- when I first watched this episode. The way he said it, because they, they're not necessarily talking about um, things that are currently happening. Uh, the, the, the father who the father who never you know, loved you, that's obviously in the past. The wife who mm-hmm. didn't forgive you, that was in the past. So he was not talking about things that were happening right there, right to them at that moment. So mm-hmm. was he talking about some of this, or was he talking about something in the future? Uh, that was definitely something that... that stuck out on me when I watched it the first time. Um, also, again, not in the show, um, the scene where um, the doctor, the final scene in the TARDIS where the doctor says, uh, we're the stuff of legend. Um, that was actually the last scene shot for the 2006 series. They had to go back and they filmed, they had to film something. Obviously they had filmed something that they didn't like. So they went back. So that actually is the last time before they broke for the for the year. That scene was the last time. <laughs> for, yeah, for their British episodic uh, right. giant break. Exactly. That was the very last scene that was shot for for this for this series. So that's always uh, that's that's interesting for sure. Um, and then um, this is not the first time that the TARDIS has used been used to tow a vehicle out of harm's way. And again, back going back to the Fourth Doctor again in an episode called Delta and the Bannerman. Mm. Where they showed that the TARDIS t- towing a uh, a vehicle in trouble. Oh, so this is that is not a, a a new thing as well. That's obviously happened before in the seventies. Interesting. Uh, and I think that was all my notes. There's a lot of there's a lot of stories about uh, them not knowing. Uh, people speculating that Russell T Davies didn't know that. Uh, Christopher Eccleston wasn't going to be uh, part of the show anymore and that these episodes were actually written more with him in mind. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. There's just, there's so much, you know, they both brought so much, you know, different energy to, to the parts. 
I don't know if it was really written with Christopher Eccleston because it just feels like a David Tennant episode. Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely owned the character and made it his own. Right. Uh, and he's got, you know, he's got a, he's got a thing that is uh, very uh, alluring uh, and certainly makes uh, his portrayal of the character and his interpretation of what the doctor would do in these situations oh, uh Quite interesting, right? But there, yeah, some people feel like this was definitely a, you know it was written for Christopher Eccleston's character, but I don't know. I just don't see it. But I figured it, it, I've read it several times, so I know and that was something I felt mm-hmm. needed to be said as well. Uh, well, we we will soon get a little bit more uh, Eccleston who uh, yes. in the uh, in this uh, the, the, audio. the recorded audio. Uh, so I can't wait to to visit that uh, when when it comes out. Yes, that'll be fun. I thought that the uh, big finish audio adventures are fun. I am I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating it. Well, thank you so much for joining me for the this two parter. This uh, this was definitely a journey and an adventure, and I'm glad I could share it with you. Oh, it was so much fun. I'm glad that we uh, did this, and let's do this again real soon. We will absolutely do that. Uh, And thank you, dear listener, for once again making it to the end of another First Time Lord. Uh, If you haven't already, go visit the website at firsttimelord.com. There you can find links to a merch store that we have. You can find links to our Patreon site, or you can find me on Patreon if you search for Daniel Levain. Uh, So any support is greatly appreciated, uh, whether it's through the merch store or Patreon, uh, or even just listening and sharing this episode with other like-minded individuals who enjoy or you think would enjoy Doctor Who, because I can I can certainly attest at this point, almost halfway through series two, uh, I I don't know why I didn't want to uh, give in to my friends and watch Doctor Who. Uh, but I can officially tell you, past Daniel was a fool, and he should have done this because these these episodes are just so much fun. This universe is just so much fun. So share it with somebody that you think would appreciate either going through this journey like I am, or that has gone through the journey and would appreciate going back and re-enjoying it through somebody else's eyes. But thanks again, and I'm off to watch more Doctor Who. 